Welcome to the Mind Speaking Podcast, where we talk about the human side of data. In other words, data, communication, and personal development. My name is Gilbert Eikelboom. I'm driven by curiosity, and my aim is to spread insights that you can apply in your life starting today. So, let's do it. Let's start Mind Speaking. I could make today's introduction very, very long, because today we have Lillian Pearson on the show. She's a data scientist and engineer, and also an entrepreneur. And many years ago, she moved to Thailand. And to many, she's living the dream, but it has not always been that glamorous. She will tell you everything about it in this episode. Lillian is a data science instructor, and she has taught over 1.3 million learners. Also, she has written six data books and published eight LinkedIn, LinkedIn learning courses. So this episode will be especially useful if you're an entrepreneur or looking to become a data entrepreneur or data leader, in fact. So this will be about how to validate your ideas, how to understand your stakeholders and get feedback so that you learn a lot about them and not get disappointed at the end when your product is finished. So you will learn about the career choices she made, what she has learned from living abroad and moving careers. So if you want to become a data entrepreneur or data leader, this episode is packed with lessons. I hope you enjoy this episode with Lillian Pearson. Hi, Lillian. Welcome to the show. Hello, Gilbert. Thank Hello. you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Thanks a lot for making the time. I'm excited to, to talk about many things, entrepreneurship, your business, all the people you've helped. Uh, but let's start with the story about you. So how did you end up in data? And tell us about that journey, please. Sure, of course. Um, so I've always been a data person. And by that, I mean, um, even when I was like five, my stepfather had a computer and I was always curious about it. And um, playing with his spreadsheets when I was seven and my first job was like data entry and medical billing. So I was just always leaning towards um, data my entire career. Um, and I took, oh, so I went to college for environmental engineering. And when I got a job in the field, there were different, you know, different aspects of that role. Some were uh, built systems design, and then some were high, like uh, data modeling for building um, for hydraulics and also for um, hydrology for um, wells, well sourcing of water and stuff like that. So um, there, and we also did data modeling. Yeah, there was a lot of data modeling involved and that was, they hired me because I was good at GIS and could work with data. So, um, and then from there, I just got another job and that was in the data field exclusively, which that started back in 2011. So it was just, kind of what I was good at and I just followed that and tried to get away from doing the things I didn't enjoy doing. And it sounds like you followed your own path and eventually you ended up in more product management and, and growing data intensive businesses, right? So. Yeah. So the first, my first product that I built, data product I built was really back in 2005 which was an MVP for the county um, that helped them organize uh, the 
petroleum cleanup at different sites where there was contamination. So, and then from there, there's just been, I've, uh, <laughs> I've launched and developed 35 products, most of them data products since then. So um, if you had to put me in a, like a class, class or a category in terms of like professional roles, it would be, um, I would place myself as in product manager, head of product, yeah. Mm-hmm. And That's what the makes closest you so role to CEO, but. <laughs> yeah. And what makes you so passionate about products? Because there are so many different roles possible, right? With your profile, with your experience. What makes you passionate about products? Um, well, I love the scalability of products and I love bringing them to market. And I've spent a lot of time delivering services And I just feel as an entrepreneur, I took the route that I did services for a while. I did consulting and I just um, fell in love with products because they're so scalable. So I've dug a lot deeper into that. And it's been nice because I've learned like the different product management frameworks and how those and how to translate what I've been doing as an entrepreneur into the product role. And um, just learning the language of the employees in these types of roles. So, yeah. Great. And I can imagine there are a lot of people listening who are currently employed, but who do have a dream of being an entrepreneur or building their own business. And you speak a lot about validating your idea before you create something or before you bring it to market. What, what, is course, the best, yeah. what is the best process or what, do you have any tips for people listening? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm actually putting together a, uh, a five-day live series to help people with this. And thing is, if you want to start your own business, the best way to really validate your ideas is if you want to start your own business, the easiest way to monetize and to start validating your ideas and getting to know your customers is to deliver services. Um, so then you can understand the mind of your customer and what they need. And then you can figure out how to shape your service into a product. Uh, that said, a lot of companies need to, if you're working as a product manager, a lot of companies need to, um, craft their, I mean, develop their minimum marketable product around, uh, you know, customer data and not spend time delivering services, trying to figure out what their customers need and stuff. So um, in that case, you would want to do customer interviews and surveys in order to identify what your customers need and then um, iterate around that to design a product and um, build out product uh, metrics and define your MVP and MMP and yeah, develop it and launch it. So there's just two, um, (laughs) speaking as an entrepreneur, like I started as an entrepreneur, right? I didn't start as a product manager. Um, So it's different sides of the same coin, really, when you get in there. But uh, being a product manager for as an employee is easier, a lot easier, (laughs) because you don't have to worry about profits and loss. And like, there's a million things like uh, you have to do as an entrepreneur that you don't have to do as a, as a product manager. Right. Well, what, what do you think data scientists, people that are employed as a data scientist, what can they learn from product managers or, or 
uh, entrepreneurs who validate their ideas. Do you see any parallels or what are some takeaways? That oh, for sure. Learn. Yes, of course. So I'm coming out with a product <laughs> soon, or it's um, going to come out in workshop format called the Value Prop Articulator. And definitely, for sure, a lot of data professionals mention that they don't know how to articulate the value proposition of their offer or the project, the project or the product they're thinking of. So they are, and it's, if you've been delivering data services, then it's very easy to be focused on the details and not see the big picture, right? So, um, but in order to really get ahead in your career, you need to get incremental wins for the company <laughs> and you need to deliver ROI for the company, right? So um, it all comes down to really stepping back and finding, okay, like, in collecting data about who your stakeholders are. So your stakeholders then are going to be your customers. Um, and, you know, especially if you have a squeaky wheel, that's some person, if, if you have a squeaky wheel, someone who is, you know, obstinate about data pro in general, then that person would be the person you want to go and really have some deep conversations with understanding like what it is they really think and need and and want and cater, cater a whole, you know, cater your product uh, or your project around their requirements. Cause they're going to be, you know, they're going to be basically the, um, the limiting factor. So you want to like make, identify who is a limiting factor here and make sure you accommodate for their needs and expectations um, in the very beginning. And then when you're going ahead to pitch your idea for your product, you want to have very clear, um, messaging about, you know, <laughs> about the benefits and features of the product or the project and, um, and get their sign off, get sign off from stakeholders. And then you can go ahead and build a technical plan. And then get sign off on that. And then when you get sign off on your technical plan, then you can start building. So the problem with uh, implementation people is, and I've done this, of course, I've done this myself. It's a trap of implementation work. We get these ideas about this would be cool. So start building. And it's not, it's not actually cool at all. And like business people are like, dude, like, you know, you've got to think like a business owner. So a business owner is like, okay, I'm paying like how many I'm paying, paying all this money. And this person's just like wasting time. They have no idea about the, the, the business, the ROI, you know, because they're not trained to like think that far. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's really, it takes a reframing. It's why I'm creating pretty, like I'm creating a six hour workshop on this I'm walking through people through the whole series of like, customer interviews and then customer personas and then your MVP and your MMP and then pitching, pitching your project to the leadership. But then even they're going to say, yeah, if you do a, gr a great job, they're going to say yes. But that doesn't mean you start, you know, like then you need to do a technical plan say like what technologies and like, there's just so much planning that's required that uh, they don't generally teach anywhere. And um, most, most, if you've been taking like coding courses on Udemy, you're just not going to think to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. and, but it's super important to protect the investment that the business is making in technologies, data resources, and 
you know, skill sets, personnel, which are Mm -hmm. very expensive, you know? So if you, one more thing I will say is (laughs) if you're going to go to college and invest a hundred thousand dollars on education, you're going to take a look around, right? You're going to look around at the options and you're going to do an assessment of the market. It's the same thing with a data, a new data project. Like that's what technical planning comes down to is like, so it's not your hundred thousand dollars, but it's your company's. So like, there's got to be a thorough assessment of the alternatives before jumping into anything. Right. And, and to me, that sounds that it's not just about knowing what to do, but also it's about a mindset, a more business focused mindset. Would you agree? And, and how do you, yeah, for sure. And how, how do you think we can develop this? Because you, you offer a, a lot of great materials and courses on this. Um, but what I can imagine, it's not just about giving a framework and telling people to do it, but also to in their business, in their profession in general, to be more on the lookout for uh, feedback or more receptive for business stakeholders, what they need and what they want. Would you, would you oh, agree? And how, sure. do you, how do you think we can develop this mindset? Okay, one thing you mentioned they, about how should companies foster this mindset? Yeah, that's a great question about feedback, especially stakeholder feedback. It's like, that is like the most valuable thing you can get any bit of like constructive feedback because you can't buy that. You can't go to a shop and buy custom advice about what people need and want. So it's like when, when people share that with you, it's like, great, I can make this even better. I can reduce problems in the future. I can make this, you know, um, yeah, it's a feedback is very important. Now, um, how do you foster the business mindset? I, I guess how I started. So I offer a, a pro, uh, data pro, data strategy product suite, which is like a series of three digital products um, that take people through the process of building a data strategy plan. Now, in all honesty, I learned part of that approach. I picked up as a um, consultant, as a I was um, as an engineer. I did technical consulting and strategy work. Um, And we always just walk through the process of like, uh, you start off, you define what's the mission of the organization, what's the vision, and then define like, okay, here are the needs, do a needs assessment. And then how um, would the proposed solution fit in with um, fulfill the needs of the business and then uh, the, the, the most immediate needs, and then also satisfy the organization in, in reaching, you know, fulfilling its mission. Mm-hmm. So once you establish the needs and that the needs that this type of project would support that, then you have to start looking at feasibility and like doing an assessment of current state and what they actually have available, you know, cause you don't want to just like say from left field, like, Hey, go buy some random expensive uh, software when when they have uh, basically something that's competitor um, capable of doing the same thing if you know what I'm saying so you have to do an assessment of what's going on with the business and all of the technology I mean there's a lot to it and then when you make your recommendations for solutions there's got to be an alternatives analysis and it's not just so the alternatives analysis is then looking at capital cost maintenance cost and op- maintenance and operations. And it's not just like now, it's like, 
okay, here's the startup cost. And then here's what it's going to cost five years from now. Here's going to, what it's going to cost 10 years from now. Here are the pros, uh, the pluses and my, uh, pros and cons of each of these options. And you look at it from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. And you look at like, okay, so if we bring this in, it might be cheaper now, but then, you know, the warranty is less and there is, <laughs> um, you know, maybe greater chance of failure of component pieces. So really evaluating um, your alternatives on a cost basis before making recommendations. And then when you make recommendations, you propose all of that. So that is like, I feel like that was my first, that was my first learning or how I learned about um, technical planning as it relates to business's bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what many analytical or technical or data people uh, do or like to do is, is focus a lot on the solution and not think so much or maybe care so much about what the final stakeholders think what the customers think, or they're not uh, so busy thinking about those costs or the impact on their work. And I think there's a lot of benefits to bringing that to the table. I think that it might come from, because I'm an engineer, I'm a licensed mm-hmm. professional engineer, and I got a degree in built systems engineering. So they didn't teach me any programming in college, but I had to do all of this cost calculations and cost projections in college. So when I look at roles on the market, like data scientists, they want to see statisticians, computer scientists, um, so on, applied mathematicians, right? They don't, they kind of try and like keep engineers off the list for some reason. I don't even know why. But when you go and you look at product manager roles, they like, if you're an engineer, it's like you're golden. So it's more like, it's a different type of tech, uh, a different type of STEM education that supports that that function where you're making like business type of business recommendations and stuff i guess Mm -hmm. right right the people that are looking at the video right now they see it's it's very dark in your background for me it's still light (laughs) it's uh it's 4 p.m in amsterdam um okay but what i know is that you live in thailand so it's it's dark already and I've also also seen pictures of you working with fabulous backgrounds. What uh, <laughs> what what made you uh, move to Thailand, and how how did that those career choices develop? Yeah, well, I decided um, back in two thousand and eleven. I decided that I wanted to travel the world and have my own business, online business. So, and then I got a job as a working in the data, working in data. So I built the business as a side hustle while I held on a full-time job. And then a few years, like a few, about 21 months in, I had basically wrapped up everything I needed to. And I was in a position where I could just quit my job and I had clients lined up and I could just leave the country. So I did. And um, I first moved to Thailand and then I moved went over to Bali and then I went to Peru and I lived in Peru for six months. And, you know, I was sick. I was lonely. I was trying to write data science for dummies from Peru. Like I got the book deal on my way to Bali. And then I was just sick and like lonely. And I thought I'm going to move back to the United States because the sanitation isn't great in Peru. <laughs> um, but then I thought, okay, like if 
I'm willing to move back to the United States, then what if I just am willing to pay US, US like rates, you know, like pay cost mm-hmm. of living same as US? Um, where what like where would be my favorite place in the world? And I knew Kosamoy I had been here. So I just came here. I IBM had an event, so I got them actually to pay for my travel from Peru to Kosamoy with a stop in Las Vegas. It was like 2014, I guess. And um, yeah, and then I met my husband here and we've been oh, here in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, and Kosamoy. Mm-hmm. We oh, met wonderful. here and yeah, now we have a daughter and it's wonderful. And um yeah so it sounds like know, in the I beginning start... in peru you it was not great and there were some some challenging things so you were thinking about moving back to the u.s but eventually yeah in thailand yeah yeah because and... i just loved it but i think if i didn't meet him meet him i would have even though it's really it's literally to me my favorite place in the whole world and i've been to 40 countries but if i hadn't met him i think i probably would have kept I wouldn't be here because I was lonely. It's not actually all that great to travel the world by yourself. Yeah. And it's something I wanted especially. to ask you because because there are many people who dream about traveling the world, living abroad and being an entrepreneur. What what do you want to say to those those people who have those dreams? Go for it. Yeah, because you're going to find out. I mean, it's got to and it's not going to be the rest of your life even if you think it might be. Um, but you're going to find yourself. You're going to find out who you are. So when I left the United States, I didn't know if I liked the color pink because um, I thought maybe it had been conditioned on me but by society. And um, I went out and like pushed it to the extreme. So I was living in Sacred Valley with a bunch of like Indians around and like uh, a dwelling made of like thick mud five degrees Celsius with no negative five or something with no heat. I mean, I figured out who I was by because like trying out who I had never had the chance to be. And then I realized, Oh crap. I love to get my hair done. I love pink. I like shopping. So whatever it is, you know, you get out there, you try some things, you're going to figure out who you are. You're going to, you know, instead of just taking what the world gives you and taking what people tell you, defining defining you know who you are you'll figure it out on your own it's good mm-hmm. yeah yeah i remember you made a post a linkedin post or a twitter post about where you mentioned deep down your inner self already knows the answers just you're just <laughs> willing to slow down long enough and tune in and listen is that related to what you just said how do how do you see that fit in what you just mentioned um I, that post was talking more about flow state. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the flow state. What what do you mean exactly with that? And and yeah. mind and listening to your gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can get an idea. You can have an idea, and you're like, I'm gonna freaking make this happen, right? <laughs> and you can even get people to help you and mentor you towards making that thing happen. Um, but. And you can strategize. I'm a, I'm a planning person. You can plan it to the nth degree and you can really, really just try and will yourself into making something happen. But a lot of times what you're going to get through that approach is not as good as if you would take a moment to slow down and to just like, 
like, I don't want to get into spirituality on this call because I know this is a call for data professionals. So I'm not going to, but I will say that our brains are capable of processing a lot more information than we can handle on a conscious basis. So if we slow down enough to let the, what's processing, you know, like when you have a big problem to solve and your brain works on it overnight and you wake up with an answer, it's the same thing. If you slow down long enough to like let your brain, your subconscious figure it out, you're going to come up with a much more direct path to what you're working on and probably a lot better outcome. So I think it was Tim Ferriss said what he works on. He, he spends most of his time working on just like tapping into the same thing and trying to figure out the most efficient way to get as much done as possible with doing as little work as possible. I love to, to hear your thoughts on uh, on that. And I'm a big believer of meditation. I, I Personally, I get a lot of benefit from meditation. I meditate every day. I, I do skip some days, but I try to meditate every day. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a bit way to slow down. Like you mentioned, how, how do you slow down? Yeah, I haven't been, I was doing a lot of meditation. I meditated every day for years. How do I slow down? I go for a Thai massage. <laughs> of course. All the time. Uh, I'm, I'm totally so jealous addicted. That, that's so accessible to you. I, I like to <laughs> take massage here as well, but they have a different price uh, tag. Yeah, and, I'm addicted. I don't course. meditate. I'm lazy now. So I just go for a Thai massage and it's like instant relief. But it's probably not as good for your brain, you know? All right. Because I feel like if you meditate, you're going to get, your brain is still aware. So you're going to get these type of great answers, these great solutions to the things you're facing in your life. But meditate, but massage is just like, you just check out and then you wake up and um, I don't know that your brain, you know what I'm saying? You don't really tap mm -hmm. into any inner solutions, but I mean, I can't help it. Time massage is so good. Mm -hmm. It is. I, in, a, in a way, I think it's even better. So I might have a different view there where meditation is still pretty aware or conscious, right? And it's good to become more aware about what's happening. But also, sometimes I find a lot of answers when I don't do anything, go for a walk or take that yeah, break for sure. or go for a massage. And sometimes those moments of t total silence or not thinking about anything or everything do lead to the answers. They totally do. And then it's like, you find this solution that's just, you know, 10 times like more elegant than what like his long twisted out plan you had of like doing this stuff. But unfortunately, like our conscious brains can only, they're not, I just feel like they're not as, they're not as sophisticated as our mm -hmm. processing that goes on below the surface. So it's good yeah. to try and tap in. Sorry. You're, um, you've been teaching a lot of data scientists. You've been, you're a data science instructor, over a million people you taught. And <laughs> that's I think through it's... LinkedIn, most of it. All right. But, but I did travel the world and do a lot of workshops for mm -hmm. all different types of you know, countries, people. It was amazing. It was so fun. Um, but then it did get exhausting. I wanted, that's when I brought my business online. Cause I just, 
like you think it seems so cool travel like travel the world to go first class and like it was really like really cool at first right <laughs> um but when you have like a child at home and you are traveling two weeks out of every month and it doesn't seem so luxurious and so awesome glamorous then you know you're thinking I just want to get off this plane and this doesn't seem worth it. And so like, that's why I brought my business online in 2019 and started just selling everything online instead mm-hmm. of um, doing face-to-face services. Right. And and a workshop um, or an online business or an online teaching is, is very different compared to an interactive workshop, right? Where you're there present for life. Uh, you can mm-hmm. answer questions, everything. You have the interaction. What, what have you learned about teaching online? You know, how to make it effective? What, oh, I what love teaching online. So much better. I feel like it's so much better than um, face-to-face because face-to-face just like drags on. It's like six hours, eight hours. How do you keep these people from getting bored? You know, they're just sitting there and it's like, okay, how do I keep this exciting for them? And Um, the workshops I had to do, so it wasn't enough. I tried and tried and tried to make it more like interactive where you'd stop and like work on a piece of the strategy or whatever, but the client wanted training. So 38, 30, 35 hours of just training in a week is a lot to pull people through without them just feel, you know, like, and keeping it exciting. It's just tough, but you can just set it up online and like, for me, I'm like a million percent action oriented. Like I literally want to hear zero theory about anything and I don't want to share theory about anything. So I share what works and I get people to like, okay, here's the principle. Here's what you need to do. Now do it. And they get the, they do the action because that's how you're going to learn. Right. And I feel like most things can be taught that way. We don't like college. You have to go through so much theory and in that was probably necessary but like in the professional world like just doing doing a one-hour workshop and then having um digital products that support the transformation of that workshop is plenty particularly with a Q&A afterward because um if you cut out all the bs theory and like all the like taking the make you know like it's like people want to spend seems like the old way of how companies did things is like, okay, you have to have your butt in the seat for 40 or 50 hours a week. So we're going to force you to be here. So let's fill up all this space and time needlessly. And it's like, dude, come on. Like, can we just like really do something powerful and intense and like, like do something that's going to change, like, you know, make an impact and then go have a latte or something. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there are a lot of trainings that, you know, focus on just the instructor, so instructor presenting and talking. And I think real learning comes by by doing. And what, what mm-hmm. I was curious about is how, how does this relate to what we discussed earlier to slow down sometimes? Because you're very practical, you're very action oriented. Uh, how do mm-hmm. you, sh- should we build in, in training online or in person, should we build in this uh, delay or a moment of reflection. What, what do you think? What I like to do with my products and programs is to build in um, mindset prompts. 
So um, related to whatever the topic is, there's always some sort of reflection of like, if it's leadership, if it's sales and marketing, if it's client delivery, um, if it's finance, there's always lessons learned and ways we can like look at situations differently and grow from them and become better leaders and not only leaders, but um, develop our relationship with ourselves, like taking, praising our own selves and being honest with ourselves about where we can improve and how to show up better for others and being kinder to ourselves, things like that. So that's how I like to break up my trainings. Um, my digital trainings is with mindset um, mindset upgrades, mindset prompts that really help people like support them and make them feel good and also help them feel prepared for the, what's to come next to feel supported and not only supported by me, but also supported by themselves. Right. Yeah. So they become very independent and they develop a strong mindset and you've been teaching a lot of data scientists mm -hmm. how how do you think data scientists need to be taught differently compared to other type of people or can you even make such a generalization um well i've been teaching data scientists more how to start and grow their businesses so in that sense they need the help of um a lot of times like stepping and it's probably true inside a business as well, inside as a company, they need the help um, stepping back from doing the implementation, all, everything themselves and thinking, and, and this is a journey, you know, this is like, I, you know, everyone goes through this of like trusting other people that they can do a good job, if not better than you, if you just turn things over to them and stop trying to just figure it out. So we're figure outers. We like to figure everything out and we don't let go of anything unless there's no other option. And, um, and so that is actually really stressful mm -hmm. and painful. So like helping people just like understand that there are alternatives and that you can step up and, and be a leader instead of trying, because you can't do both. You honestly have only so many hours a day. So you can't be a great implementation person and be obsessed about the details of building this thing and be a great leader. Because mm -hmm. your brain, it doesn't work that way. It's like, it's a binary. So at a certain point you have to decide, okay, do I want to, you know, what you want to do with it. But I, that's one thing I've seen is like, not every data professional wants to be an individual contributor for the rest of their lives. In fact, I saw Kenji put a poll out and 50, it was 50, 50. Uh, between well, 50, data 50, leaders, 50. it was 50-50. I was happy to see that. Yeah. Uh, data pros wanted to be data leaders or I, uh, individual contributors. So that's awesome. And if you want to be a data leader, it's like you don't actually need necessarily to get in there and figure out more implementation details. That's actually not going to get you to a leadership capacity, you know? So it's um, stepping away from that and picking up new ways of working and managing and <laughs> coping with professional stressors and stuff. Yeah. 
so different uh, type of skills and mindset maybe um, you need in such for sure yeah a million percent yeah so we're nearing the end i would love to uh, talk a little bit about your work about datamania and uh, then ask you a few uh, last questions um what would you like to share about datamania well, we support data professionals to becoming world-class data leaders and entrepreneurs. And um, we are moving towards um, solely offering products in order to assist in that transformation. So for many years I did coaching, but I don't do coaching anymore. In fact, I'm going to be, I've signed on to be a chief marketing officer for a data startup for a, um, a, a SaaS product. So I'm really excited about that. And with that, I'm cutting off all services, of course. So, but I've still got the products business and I've been building this out a long time. Um, hence, the reason I also love products is they can create impact without requiring your time after you build them, you know, this, you can scale your impact without <laughs> and actually move on with your life and keep growing as a professional. So, um, yeah, that's what we do. And any other questions? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that I just, uh, wanted to open up the floor for anything you wanted to share about Datamania and, um, congrats on the new rule. Thank you. So yeah, last last question is what what do you what is one takeaway or lesson or thing you would like people to take away from this episode? Um, okay, so backing up, I can actually we'll just make this the call to action. If you're thinking of starting a data company, please, please, please do not do what almost everyone does, especially if you're thinking of going the self-funding route and trying to figure it out on your own because. If you're anything like I was when I did that, then you're gonna waste four years and at least $800,000 in lost revenue. Money you didn't make because for me personally, I was too smart to need to pay for courses on something so simple as business. <laughs> and um, so then I like, as soon as I started getting business coaching, I started making two, you know, hitting $200,000 a year. So it was like $800,000 loss from, cause I was so smart. So um, if you would like to learn the four steps to monetizing data expertise in your small business, then I invite you to take my free 75 minute masterclass. And the one thing that I, we will leave a link to it in the description of the of the show. And then the one thing I want to just leave you guys with is whatever it is you want to do with your career or with your life. Um, you've got to do it now. Um, because there isn't like the next thing my mother told me this, one of our last conversations, you're going to wake up and you're going to be 65 and the time's going to be gone. So, um, just be willing to, to take a risk and get out there and, and follow your passion. Um, so that you, when you get to be 65, which will be very soon, I'm already 42. Uh, <laughs> it will be very soon that you won't look back and say, I wonder what, you know, I wonder what would have happened if I had taken, you know, done this or that. You just got to do it. Wonderful. Thank you for the 
this important last minute message where can people <laughs> follow you or connect with you um well you can always shoot me an email at lillian at data-mania.com and then i'm also on linkedin great i'll put the, all the links in the in the show notes thanks a lot lillian for the conversation thank today you. i learned a lot thank and so i hopefully my me. listeners as well about uh, entrepreneurship about validating your ideas how to be a better data scientist or how to teach data scientists and also how to understand, understand yourself so thanks a lot for for today Thank you for having me on. Thank you for your kind words at the end too. I feel like I rambled and didn't have clear. So I'm glad if it was helpful and it was really nice to meet you. Yeah, feel absolutely. Clear. Speak soon. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Bye. Do you want people to listen to your data and increase your business impact? Then take my free email course or do the quick self-test of your data communication skills. Go to mindspeaking.com and start learning today.